welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I'm really um, very excited about today's show because I love writing wrongs. And um, one of the people this year who has been wronged the most is Tara Reed, whose name you may well uh, recognize. Um, she is the well. She has, she has other. Uh, she has a life besides this. But what you would know her for is that she is the woman who was brave enough to come out and tell the world about Joe Biden's sexual assault. And what did she get for that? <laughs> uh, a lot of um, a lot of death threats. And uh, for herself, her, her daughter was harassed. Well, she'll tell you the whole story. But um, today we're going to let her... I have been following her story uh, pretty much since the beginning of her coming out, so to speak. Um, I uh, watched the Megan Kelly interview. You were great on that, Tara. I mean, it was so credible. And let me also mention before I go on, um, if, if you haven't heard me talk about this on the show before. If you don't know, one of my hats is that I'm a psychiatric expert witness. And so when I have been hearing about Tara for months and months, um, I looked at that as uh, as an expert witness, a psychiatric expert witness would in terms of judging her credibility and so on. And so when I watched the Megyn Kelly interview, um, I was watching very closely for signs of uh, malingering. You know, that's what you call it when someone is lying, basically, for secondary gain in order to get something. Like people are trying to say, have tried to say that she's just trying to be famous or trying to make money, that kind of thing. And that is not the case. Um, I all, The thing, Tara, well, first of all, welcome to the show, Tara. Before I go on talking and talking, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, the thing that made me um, believe you most of all, and if people had brains in their heads, <laughs> um, they would, well, they would have seen it through the Megyn Kelly interview, but they would also have um, seen it through the story that came out about your mother's call to Larry King. Because, and uh, I'm going to ask you to tell us about that. Um, I know we're kind of going out of order, but still, this is a, a very significant part of your story. Uh, yes, yes, when you, when you When you said that um, your mother called Larry King and asked a question uh, that related to your being sexually assaulted by Joe Biden, um, and then they found it and they played it, uh, the segment, and let me... Let me uh, um, that I knew because your mother had passed uh, when this when this was happening and you were talking about it, and I knew that there was no way that you or anyone who loved their mother um, would tell this story if it wasn't true. You know, would 
betray their mother, in other words, and make up a story about uh, their mother having called Larry King and, and so on, which obviously could be very well um, found out whether it was true or not. And, uh, and that, that was what did it for me. And let me just read to people what, to my listeners, what, um, what your mother said. Um, your mother's name is Jeanette Altimus, and um, she, you had told her about the assault, which happened in 1993, and um, she called, let's see, she called Larry King anonymously. She didn't give her name, but she did say that the call was coming from, or the program said that the call was coming from San Luis Obispo, which is where she was living at the time, not a huge city. <laughs> uh, and this, the episode was about what well, was called Washington, the coolest city on earth. And this is what the, your mother said. I'm wondering what a staffer would do besides go to the press in Washington. My daughter has just left there after working for a prominent senator and could not get through with her problems at all. And the only thing she could have done was go to the press. And she chose not to do it out of respect for him. And so then Larry King asked, so she had a story to tell, but out of respect for the person she worked for, she didn't tell her. And your mother said, that's true. And there, you know, there, there, the, um, the tape, the audio of this was all over the internet. And so yes. clearly, you know, <laughs> so tell us about this. Well, I remember the morning that I got the news they found the call, and it was actually a private citizen that found it. It was a grad student. Um, CNN had it in the archives, but and reporters had um, actually tried to get it. Um, and for whatever reason, it just didn't get out there. Then a um, Ryan Grimm called me from The Intercept, and Rich McHugh, who's an, ex- an investigative reporter, called me that morning and said, you know, we, we have the transcript, but we don't have the audio. And we want to verify. And it sounded familiar, but I wanted to hear her voice to see, to make sure. And um, when I heard her voice, I, I burst into tears. <laughs> my mom's been dead for a, few, a couple of years. And um, I gave my mother such a hard time for calling in Larry King. It brought up a lot of feelings all at once. And um, just hearing her voice, um, she died of a rare um, form of throat cancer. So her voice changed. And hearing her voice was so poignant as well as what she was trying to say. Um, She had wanted me to go to the police the day of the assault, and I didn't, and we argued. She wanted me to report the sexual harassment, you know, when I was being shoved out of the office, which I did do. I followed her instructions that far. I did file a paper. Um, Nothing happened, but... um, And then I was um, forced to resign or fired um, because of, I believe, because of the sexual harassment report. I did not tell my supervisors about the sexual assault, but I did. Um, I was trying to. I told them about the harassment. And my mother was just a very big champion. She was heartbroken over this. It's 1993. It was a different time. There was even really a difficult, it would have been difficult to go to the press. And he had so much power then. Um, Joe Biden was chairman of the judiciary. He was head of foreign relations. He was a very... Um, you know, very, very prominent, as, as everyone knows. Um, so I was scared, frankly, and young and wanted my career. And um, he basically ended my career. I couldn't get a job on the Hill after I made the complaint. And um, it ended my career um, by coming forward in 93. So, um, you know, my mom's spirit came through loud and clear. It's like she reached beyond time and space and 
it, it felt almost like a hug from beyond, uh-huh. I could say. <laughs> so uh-huh, it, it really uh-huh. um, gave me motivation to keep moving forward because at that point I was getting really, um, really sad about the way people were portraying me and, and, and what I, like my history with Joe Biden. Well, you know, what else? so now um, why don't we go back to one of the questions you get asked all the time, and of course people in general who report uh, sexual assault after some time has gone by, they always get asked, why did you wait so long? You know, so, I mean, of course I know the answer, but I'll tell my listeners, you know, it's not an unusual thing. There are lots of reasons why people, notably women, but even men um, who have been sexually assaulted, wait to, to tell people, no less to tell the whole world. So tell us about your decision-making. Well, in 1993, it was a very different atmosphere, right? Um, and it was difficult to come forward at all. And um, the Capitol Police, who I thought at that time I would have gone to, but actually I probably would have gone to the Metro Police. But, you know, I didn't know that at the time because it happened, you know, where I worked. So I thought it was the Capitol Police. I didn't feel comfortable going forward to them. And my mom was wanting me to file a report, right? Um, then on top of it, um, you know, the sexual harassment, which to me was pretty clear and had a paper trail. I, because I filed that complaint, I, I just thought somebody would call me and there would be some movement towards it. And again, no one called me and, and nothing happened. Um, so I let it go um, because we lived in a time where a lot of people, and they probably still do, let those situations go um, and just go on with your life. And I ended up, unfortunately, um, I met, the person right during the time I was working for Biden and after the assault happened, I went and um, got married to someone and had a child um, probably with someone I normally wouldn't have chosen. Um, but I was very vulnerable and felt very unprotected. And I ended up making a, a choice that, that resulted with a domestic violence situation. So my life was very kind of taken into that world as far as trying to survive. And, um, mm-hmm. In 2012, like later, I, you know, Biden was running for um, vice president. I was very despondent and um, about it, but I really supported Obama. I've been a lifelong Democrat and I didn't know how to come forward, if at all. And going to the press didn't really occur to me. There was no Me Too kind of infrastructure, really. Um, And I talked to friends about it. So there was a friend who came forward in the press. I think Rich McHugh wrote about that. Um, and someone else. So, so there's a few people in my life I came forward to, um, a neighbor, a close friend, a law school friend, and this friend in, in, when he was VP. But I had no intentions at that time of coming forward. And I thought, well, maybe he's changed. Maybe this was my experience. You know, you start to rationalize things or minimize mm-hmm. things. And mm-hmm. then um, 2019 hit and Lucy Flores, I saw her bravely stand up and speak out. And it really... Um, affected me because um, they really, the seven women that came forward about his inappropriate touching and um, it, it, they were really treated badly by the media and called names and called narcissists and called, they just wanted attention. And let me tell you, Carol, no one wants this kind of intention. No one wants this kind of fame. It, it cost me everything to come forward. And I mean my housing, my work. It cost me relationships. It cost me my credibility because people started questioning it. It's 
first of all, sexual assault is still kind of a um, taboo subject. It's really difficult for people to talk about. It's getting easier, but it's still hard. But when it's someone this powerful, and then you add in, sprinkle in the, he's running for president, it just, it was... Um, it was a nightmare. So when I saw the 20, when Lucy Flores getting really beat up, I decided, okay, there's a paper trail with what happened with the sexual harassment. I'll step forward. And then my daughter at the time as an adult, she was an adult. And in 2012, she was not. And we were still being cautious about my ex-husband and being safe. So I didn't feel comfortable affecting her life with coming forward. But in 2019, she was an adult and I just, I talked to her about it and she said, oh no, you know, Joe Biden is too powerful. And I said, okay, now I have to, because now Uh we've entered into this realm of generational abuse almost, you know what I'm saying? Where in her mind, you can't report sexual assault or sexual harassment if it's someone so powerful. And Mm. I wanted, I felt sort of an obligation to set an example for her, but also you know, what was happening in 2019 with those seven women. So I talked to a reporter and the first question out of the reporter's mouth was, well, it wasn't sexual, was it? And, and it it was just a little thing and it's not his fault. I'm not going to blame this reporter, but it gave me the excuse to really shut down. And I, I was really tentative about coming forward, but that really took me back. Like everyone kept saying it's not sexual. So I was like, okay, you know, but, it was. It was. Well, how do you, how is it? You mean because they were so. saying it was just a power thing, right? Well, they were talking about the sexual harassment first, and so I was going to lead up to talking about the sexual assault, and I basically uh-huh. that question kind of um, had a, a, made me freeze up a bit. And um, so, in a, well, wait. So, in other words, um, like they were trying to say what he did to you was just words, like he wanted you to serve uh, drinks at a, at a cocktail party. Right. And he said you, he had, you said, had nice legs yeah. and all that. And so is that what they were saying, mm-hmm. that that isn't sexual, that that's right. just talk? Right. Okay. Well, they were referring to the other women who kind of minimized, too, how they said he would just, it was unusual, unwanted touching, like he would put his hands on people. For me, he would put his hands on, a sh- on my shoulder, rub his thumb up and down my neck underneath my hair. He would do things like that in public. I knew there was witnesses. I knew there was witness to the argument about having me serve drinks because he thought I was pretty and liked my legs. And for me, it made me uncomfortable because I looked up to Joe Biden. I wanted a mentor. I wanted to be a senator. I didn't want to sleep with a senator. I, I looked up to him. He was my father's age. I thought this was the beginning of my career. And I didn't even know that it was the beginning of the end, right, because I rejected him. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, and I think he was used to people, I think he was just used to getting what he wanted when he wanted it. He was entitled very much. And he's, he just was very, but I think there's an element, you mentioned power. My mom mentioned that when I asked her um, about that. And he, she basically said, you know, this is about power and control. This is him taking the room when he puts his hand on your shoulder and puts his fingers underneath your hair. Only you and him know that's happening. And Mm -hmm. he's establishing power and dominance over you. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the sexual element, of course, was the sexual assault. There's no question. He made it clear what he wanted to do to me. He told me what he wanted to do to me. And he assaulted me. He entered me without my permission, you know, with with his fingers. So I... 
that's clearly sexual assault. But at the time in 1993, those discussions didn't happen very often. And it, it was really hard to have that discussion. So anyway, I was struggling with this coming forward in 2019. I reached back out to Lisa Lair, who I'd been talking to, and other reporters saying, look, there's something more. There's something more. I reached out to my um, representative, who is Kamala Harris. I didn't receive a response. I reached out to several yeah. people. Um, finally, um, Ryan Grimm did an article about the whole thing with Time's Up, with me trying to go to Time's Up for help and how that debacle happened and um, how basically the person that the company called Knickerbocker does PR for Time's Up Legal Defense, how I'm going to to Time's Up. Meanwhile, Knickerbocker is going to be working for the campaign. So Anita Dunn, who founded that, had just received payment from Joe Biden's campaign to work for him. So I didn't know that. So I'm like telling them Uh my story and trying to get attorney referrals. They're getting more and more information from me. And, um, you know, yeah, and did not tell me about the conflict of interest, but basically said, oh, we can't help you because um, it might affect our 501c3 nonprofit status, which wasn't true. And so Ryan Grimm broke that story and and Mm. talked about that. And then the then Katie Halper had me on, and I talked about the assault. Uh-huh. Finally. So that's how kind of the, the, the flow went, so which when, I talk about when, in my when book. When was that? So. Wait, wait, when was that um, in regard to, um, when was that in regard to when you, when you um, first came out and talked about the assault itself, when was that in connection or with his uh, presidential campaign? Like, where was he in the presidential race? Well, he was, it wasn't really clear. He wasn't popular. It, it didn't look like he was going anywhere in 2019. And then in January 2020, there were rumors he was dropping out um, completely. Um, so when I was coming forward, the rumor was after Virginia or what, one of the southern states, he was, he was simply dropping out of the campaign. He was not, I know it seems like, because we're in COVID and COVID time, it seems like years, <laughs> but it was just a few months ago. Um, but it was like right around January, February 2020, there was talk about him just not, but I was still moving forward. Um, well, I mean, that, became, yes, that kind of intrigued yeah. me um, that if he was, I mean, of course, for people who were saying that you were doing this to become famous or to make money, um, your timing <laughs> sucked. <laughs> I mean, if he was going to yeah. be dropping out, you know, that wouldn't have uh, led yeah. very far. But here he is today calling himself the president-elect, um, you know, yeah. but you didn't exactly. know that at the time that you actually came out with more details uh, about the sexual No, no. No, and in fact, in spring 2019, it wasn't clear he'd ever even be the candidate at all or hang in there. But I, I really was coming forward, um, you know, because people just needed to know. And it was time for me to come forward and speak my truth. And frankly, I don't know if your listeners, maybe someone can relate to this, carrying a secret all your life, there's something toxic about it. And yes. even though I have lost work and I've lost, you know, you know, my reputation and, and such, and it's been hard, I, I would still do it because, oh, my gosh, it's, like, such a relief to not have that weighing on me. Yes, that's the only way I can yes. describe it. It felt like something lifted off me. Yes. Well, we need this is a perfect time to take a break. 
And um, we will continue, of course, with your story. Uh, My guest is Tara Reed. She has a new book out, which I should have mentioned at the very beginning. It's called Left Out, When the Truth Doesn't Fit In. And, of course, you can get it on Amazon and where books are sold. Uh, We will be right back. Uh, You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with Tara Reed. She is the author of a new book called Left Out When the Truth Doesn't Fit In. Um, We were talking about uh, your coming forward in regard to your allegations uh, about Joe Biden and his sexual assault. You know, when I was doing research um, for the show today, one of the things I did, you know, I always do this before a show, uh, like as a sort of a background thing. I know you can't believe everything you read in it, but uh, the first thing I do is look at Wikipedia just to get kind of like the uh, the Reader's Digest version. And, of course, they don't, I couldn't find anything under your name, but they have an entry, Joe Biden sexual assault allegations, and the first part of it, you know, is so political and so uh, ridiculous. Um but, um, you know, that, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, that's part of the problem that um, you came out, you, you tell, you, first you told us sexual, about sexual harassment. Then you felt a little braver and more, uh, that it was more important. Then we had the Me Too movement and all of that. Of course, we just talked about that, you know, how, how hypocritical they are, obviously. Um, 
But and so then you you know came out and you told more about the sexual the actual sexual assault besides the harassment that had gone before it, and um, you know it's um, really it's really been uh, some of the things that you talked about in regard to that um, are, are reveal that's you know it's kind of another example just like the uh, the tape of your mother talking to Larry King. Um, the, when you describe what happened, and particularly the words that he said after he tried to assault you, or he did assault you, um, but when he saw that you weren't uh, going to go for it, um, the words that he said are words that men say. I mean, these are classic lines when they are rejected, and they feel their their, their ego has been wounded, and um, you know, it's it's just classic. So whatever, I'm not going to, you know, you've had your, you've had your, your private parts and your private life um, uh, analyzed, you know, um, for years, but um, I do, I would like you to tell us to the extent that you feel comfortable about what happened on that day. Yes. Um, well, it was um, a difficult day, and I, wa- I want to just say for listeners, um, because I am going to talk about a sexual assault, if, if, you, if you know, I just want to give that warning that, that, that I'm discussing uh-huh. that. So if there's children, to definitely not, you know, to decide whether uh-huh. you want them to hear or not. So um, mm-hmm. what happened that day was I, my boss, um, who was uh, Marianne, um, had asked me to go take um, a gym bag or a duffel bag, she called it the gym bag, but um, a duffel bag to Senator Biden um, to catch up with him. He had forgotten it. And she was in a rush. She seemed flustered. She seemed in a hurry. And at that point in time, I had, rep- I had been complaining about this sexual harassment and I was, I was getting kind of frozen out by the office. So I was surprised to be asked. Um, and I didn't know why I was asked, but I did it. I followed him. He was heading down to the Capitol um, and I went down some stairs, um, I remember, and this is where, you know, I, I only talk about what I can really remember. And I remember sensory things almost more than anything else, but, um, I remember my, uh, my heels hurting on the marble floors. I remember the bag was kind of heavy and being annoyed by that, um, trying to find him and he was talking to somebody and then they walked away and he was by himself. Um, and he normally had staff with him, I don't, but once in a while he was by himself. I don't know if he was going home to the gym. I don't know what he was doing. Um, all I know is I had to bring him the bag. I, I, he said my name, which surprised me because, you know, um, we didn't know each other that well. There was no flirtation really to that point. The sexual harassment had happened a bit, but, again, there wasn't a lot of personal conversations between us. It was more he would put his hands on me and that kind of thing. Um, I um, started to hand him the bag. The next thing I remember is the coldness of the wall and, like, my, being up on my tippy toes. Um, and, uh, you know, like, one of my feet came out of my shoe. Um, I remember that. I remember when he um, opened my legs, he did it with his knee, and our knees, kneecaps clashed, and I felt like a sharp pain. I remember the pain. I remember um, him talking to me. It was all at once. You know, his, his hands were underneath my clothes. I remember absurdly thinking, like, where the gym bag was because I was supposed to give him the gym bag and I had handed it to him. Um, you know, I, you know, absurd thoughts were coming in my head because I was think I was shocked by what was happening. Um, he was underneath my clothes. He um, was saying things to me, and I only remember a couple of things. 
Um, he was trying to kiss me as he was whispering, and he was saying, do you want to go somewhere else? He said, I want to F you. And I was pulling away simultaneously, and um, that's when he penetrated me with his fingers. I remember the feeling. I remember the coldness. I remember it wasn't pleasant. I remember pulling away and being shocked and wanting to just, like, cry. Like, I don't know how to describe the emotions that went through me. But I, it's not what I wanted. He looked shocked at me and then um, angry. Um, I just remember his face was like a mask of anger, and he tends to smile when he's angry. And um, he just, he said to me, you're nothing to me. You know, you're nothing. He said it twice. And I, I remember that vividly because it stayed with me a long time. And I felt like crying right then, and I must have looked a certain way. And he took me by the shoulders, and he said, you're okay. You're fine. You're okay. And um, he picked up the gym bag and turned around and walked away. And it was over in a matter of like under a few minutes. It was very quick. And I remember just the coldness I felt. I remember my body being cold and shaking and trying to get my legs work. And at one point I sat down at this one staircase where they had the big windows. And I remember the big windows. And I remember just trying to um, think about the next thing I had to do, which was to get back to the office and get home. I don't remember going home. I don't remember how I got my purse and how I got home. I remember the next thing I remember was, you know, being at home and my mom and I arguing. And I write about it in detail about it in my, you know, in my book. But suffice to say, um, I definitely felt shocked and I felt this dread and overwhelming feeling not only was it just the assault, but it was like everything shattered. And as far as I knew, my career was over, but that was it. I had rejected someone. He became angry about it and walked away. And I just was left with it. And then, you know, I just um, fell apart um, at home crying and talking to my mom. And I talked later to my brother, um, I think the next day or so. And then uh, a really close friend who has been too afraid to go on the record because of the way I've been torn apart. And she's definitely afraid now, but she worked for another Senator and she is even on the sexual harassment form. Her name and her, where she went to college and her, and her phone is even there. So if they ever find that form, form they, that can verify that she knew. Anyway, that was, there was, was also, really awful. it was just awful emotionally. Yes, <laughs> it must have been. Also, didn't he say something like, um, I thought you liked me? Yes, he did. When he, put, when he pulled back, that's what he first said before, you know, he didn't say that. He said, I heard you liked me. And yeah. I, one of the things I, I, I thought about was that, was I remember my mind racing, like what I did or said wrong. Like, I felt like I did something wrong and um, to bring on that attention. And that was a big issue. Um, the other thing that, that, that was a big thing was, I, for me, um, was the smell. And that stayed with me. Like, I've smelled it since, and I can't put my finger on it. I don't know if it's where we were or him or the clothes he was wearing or what it was, but it was this particular dry cleaning, like a chemical smell. But when I smell it, mm. it literally brings back the assault. And um, mm. that's been one of the things that has been stayed with me. And, you know, when he said that, um, 
you know, hey, I heard you liked me when I pulled away, there was, he was already like um, that mask of anger I discussed. It was already like, his mind was like ahead of mine, if that makes any sense. It's like he was already moved on and um, Uh I was just left in this shock. Uh Uh-huh. You know, that's, of course, so typical, you know, by, I mean, all people, or certainly most people who have been sexually assaulted um, have that feeling, you know, they they blame themselves and feel shame, or what did I do, like what you were just saying. Um, so, you know, all well, of these, I mean, particularly you know, because my, my supervisors had said things like to me um, about don't be so noticeable, Stay under the, if you want to last year, you have to stay, you know, do what you're told and stay under the radar. Don't dress sexy, you know, like after he had noticed me and made comments about me. Like it was my fault. And I think, too, our culture, rape culture kind of feeds into that. So immediately when this happened, I felt some sort of responsibility. Like I brought it on to me. And And my mom was a feminist and very educated ahead of her time, kind of. She really helped me, though, with that. She really helped me um, move past that emotionally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, because he had, when he had wanted you to serve drinks, he was saying, you have such nice legs, and then they told you to wear longer skirts. <laughs> Here's yes. a good question. Um, I don't know. If, did you, I'm sure you've thought of this. Um, do you think that the person, <laughs> excuse me, the staff member, who told you to bring the duffel bag to him, the gym bag, she said, do you think it was a setup? Do you think um, either he asked her to have you bring that to him or she on her own thought, you know, tried to like uh, create problems by having you meet him alone kind of thing? You know, I've thought about it, too, you know, and I've had been asked that and I, I don't have an answer. I know that um, they generally, I found out later, tried to always have someone with him, particularly when he was around women. I don't know if he requested me. Um, I, and um, Marianne, the person who was my supervisor who told me to go deliver this bag, she actually came out in public and denied her, any memory of the sexual harassment or anything. And she got into a very big argument with the staffer, because I walked into that argument about when the staffer was sticking up for me saying she doesn't need, that's not her job. She doesn't need to serve drinks because, you know, Joe Biden thinks she's pretty and whatever. And, um, so, so Marianne was kind of on, on Joe Biden's team and that's mm-hmm. where I, I, so I wonder if this had come up before. Um, my friend that I told about it is convinced that this has come up before. Like they, they, that there was some sort of behavior happening and there was, you know, a lot going on on the Hill at that time. I think an article came out and revealed like 70% of staffers, I guess, were sexually harassed during the nineties. Yeah. And there's, Hmm. there's a slush fund actually that's taxpayer slush fund where um, members of Congress would do NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, or like kind of babe, basically give people money to be quiet about sexual harassment. And I think um, there's been um, some motion to get a bipartisan bill to get rid of that slush fund. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> well, that uh, so I think it's you know, has that ever been investigated? Yeah. yeah. Has that ever been investigated? Like you know, proven, uh, 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 exposed? 
the, the slush fund. Well, Kristen, but, Kristen you know, um, Gillibrand um, brought forward bipartisan bill regarding that, regarding the slush fund. She's, she, they first oh, introduced uh-huh. it. I don't know where it is as far as discussions, um, but she uh-huh. came out against me um, because she, she's never talked to me. But she said she believed Joe Biden, and I know she's closely aligned with the Biden family. Um, so it was a disappointment because she was one of the authors of that bill to get rid of that slush fund. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Hmm. You would think that that would be something so the that the media would... Democrats has really, really been stunning. How they yes, kind of you with me, too, like the shield. Like the shield? Yeah, like like we're like almost like presenting to the world, it's like look, we're helping women, we're safe, we're the good guys. But in actuality, they enable predators. Uh huh. Uh huh. In my opinion, there's there's more irony too that that um, of course the more Joe Biden did become the um, Democratic nominee, and then of course the race and all of that and. Um, and now, um, the more political it is. In other words, you weren't just some woman coming out and alleging even a senator, you know, a, a, a well-known person. It's not that isn't the only reason why you got pushback, why you got death threats and everything. It was because it was in the middle of this contentious presidential race that you had to be demolished. You had to be destroyed or else that would be bad for uh, his chances of being elected. So that's why yeah, you got I mean, even worse treatment. I, I'm, perhaps, yes, I think that there's a whole institutionalized way this has been. You know, sexual assault and sexual harassment, as you know, is a nonpartisan issue. You know, it's both parties yeah. have issues with this and have, right. have yes. just people. <laughs> how it's handled. But, yes. but you know, with... with um, What's hard about Joe Biden is he's being held up as beloved or champion of women's rights. And I personally even saw him like that before I went through everything I went through. And even after, mm-hmm. I tried to rationalize mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and when we mm-hmm. try to rationalize away behavior that's wrong, you know, you're not being part of a political party. You're being part of a cult. You know, you mm-hmm. have to accept mm-hmm. the fact that, that there, there are things that happen that need to be talked about. And, um, you know, in my case, the media chose to either smear me or silence me. Um, mm-hmm, but definitely mm-hmm. if you look at the way Dr. Ford was handled compared to me, I was treated very differently by the mainstream press um, yes. and by people Which, in general. Which, again, um, it's because you know. of, of the politics of it, you know. Um, yeah. It's because of what, uh, which side you were on, not you. I mean, you know, the person was on and that would determine Right, right. It. And, well, and, 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 you know, fear, and unfortunately this election cycle has all, has been all about fear. Um, everything has been politicized and to the, I mean, I've never seen an election cycle like this and it's really difficult to be going through this, what I'm going through in the middle of this, um, because mm-hmm. fear has been so weaponized in a sophisticated way to um, attack and to support certain ideas. And so people were afraid of Donald Trump, that was the thought, and voted for Joe Biden and then called it the lesser of two evils. But they Mm -hmm. were still voting for evil. (laughs) 
Yes, and so. um, yes, he did not win because of his own popularity. It was people who uh, didn't like Trump, and and um, and really, you know, the whole quest, this whole election. I, I don't believe this election. I don't believe the results. So this whole election has been um, is really. I, I I hope it's going to be investigated more. But we need to take a break right now. When we come back. We will talk more with my guest, Tara Reid. Her book, again, is called Left Out, When the Truth Doesn't Fit In. And when we come back, I'd like to talk about um, who you are, aside from, or in addition to, uh, besides the person who called out Joe Biden. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and we'll be right back. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today with Tara Reed. She's the author of Left Out When the Truth Doesn't Fit In. And so Tara... um, as I mentioned before the break, um, you know, as a psychiatrist, and I usually ask my guests, depending upon what the situation is, I usually, you know, ask them to uh, go back to their childhood and um, to, to understand um, how their childhood contributed to who they are uh, today. 
So, and I was reading in your book about uh, your parents and your husband and all of that. It's really interesting, and this should be a movie, by the way. <laughs> have you been Have you been soliciting, uh, trying to get someone to do a movie on it? No, I haven't solicited anyone yet. No, um, but my my life <laughs> well, was was. You know, I didn't even think it was that unusual. You know, when you're living your life, you just live your life. So you don't know. You don't have a point of reference in that way. <laughs> right, but I mean, you know, from from the childhood to to Joe Biden becoming president. That's a pretty interesting, there's a whole, st- lots of story in there. It was an interesting right, trajectory, so tell, yeah. Tell us about your childhood, particularly about your relationship with your father. My, um, well, I grew I was born in Monterey, California, uh, county, and I, uh, my parents were, um, uh, my mom was an artist and my father at the time was a writer, but he became, he, he owned an advertising agency later on in Wisconsin and um, did some other work. And he ended up um, doing defense contracting and things like that in Washington, D.C. later um, in my life. I was estranged from him for many decades, but going back to childhood, I, um, they moved to Wisconsin and I lived on a farm, which was my fondest memories with the farm. Um, cause I love animals and, um, being out on the 80 acres and, um, I thrived there riding horses and being in 4-H and whatnot and skiing. I was very into downhill ski racing and all of that good stuff. Um, and my, my parents, my parents were comfortable. We were, you know, upper, I guess you would say upper middle class. We had a ski house, additional houses and, you know, we were comfortable, um, until my parents divorced. And, but unfortunately my, my parents' relationship was very volatile and my father was very cold and very abusive. And, um, you know, he had his own pathology. Um, so I write about it very candidly about certain things that happened in my life that really affected me deeply and shaped me, in my opinion. I think that how it intertwines with, with Joe Biden is that um, it's, it's like violence was normalized for me. And I didn't have very good sense of boundaries. I also... And I think that they knew this. I was from the West Coast when I went to work for Biden. I had no support system, really, and I wasn't speaking at the time to my father. Um, he didn't speak to his children. Um, and very much, you know, my brother or um, the two young w- girls that he left behind, like he had, he was estranged. So I really um, had this absence of paternal care, right? And my older brother, Michael, kind of filled that gap. And um, one of the things I talk about is, you know, the balance that I had in my childhood was my father, who was very cold and abusive, but yet I had my brothers who were very unconditionally loving and healthy and wonderful to me. So I had, a, I had that to fall back on in that sense emotionally that some people don't. So that helped me. But where it didn't help me is that with men, and I think, you know, being a psychiatrist, you may know this, and I've been in therapy, and we're always looking to solve the primary relationship. Um, so maybe I was searching to solve that when I married my ex-husband, um, because then I had this horrible thing happen with my boss, Joe Biden. Um, yes, undoubtedly. My boundaries you, you, wait, Tara, hmm? you, mm-hmm. you uh, don't know this, but I wrote a book called, my first book was called Bad Boys, Why We Love Them, How to Live With Them, and When to Leave Them. And ah. you are, and I talk about twelve different types of bad boys, and the reason, the way that a girl, or what makes a girl attracted to any one of these twelve types of bad boys, and the bad boys are heartbreakers, and they go from you know relatively um, benign to killers, 
and um, uh-huh. and the reason and the reason why a woman is attracted to one of these twelve is because of her relationship with her father. That unconsciously sets her on the path to this type of bad boy. And when I was reading about Ted, your your ex, um, I saw how he fit perfectly into the profile or the type, the Prince of Darkness. And that is uh-huh. the type, same type as uh, OJ, and the um, the um, someone who is abusive to their girlfriend or wife, and someone who doesn't want the their woman to have a baby because that takes attention from them, and so on. He uh-huh. fits into that profile. I wish you would have <laughs> wish you would have read it before. I wish I would have read your book. You <laughs> married him. Yeah. Um. But anyhow, so so tell us about Ted. Well, I mean, and that's interesting you brought that up because Ted was so controlling that when I was married to him, I remember um, he would look at my receipts for the time on the re- time stamp on the receipt, and if it was like over a certain amount of time, he would question where I was and what I was doing. Like in other words, I would be able to go to the store and back home, but like if if there was a time stamp difference, like he would talk to me about that. He was mm-hmm. very controlling. Mm-hmm. It, but it gradually. Mm-hmm. But you know, like it's like um, one domestic violence advocate said to me, "Hey, you know, they don't beat you as you go down the aisle; they charm you." So when I first met mm-hmm. Ted, he was working for a congressman on the Hill and had worked for a senator um, from the Midwest. And um, we met at a party, and he was very charming, and he took me out. He told me his family history, which was very difficult. He, he had, had severe abuse he grew up. And, you know, and I was, I was very self-conscious about my abuse background, so I immediately empathized with that. And then he talked about putting himself through college, and I just... I. I was taken by that, and then, um, then you know what happened with Joe Biden happened, and he was six foot four. He was handsome. He was, you know, Ted was, and and really wanting me and wanting a life with me, and just showering me with attention. And and you know, I wanted protection. I was. It's where my kind of that vulnerability comes in, where I just wanted safety. And I thought mm-hmm. he was safe, and he was from the Midwest. And, you know, I had been out in California and then out in D.C. And Midwest, rem- reminding me of my farm that I lived on, I felt safe mm-hmm. to me. Does that make sense? There was a whole of that was playing into it. And, um, and then immediately, like, living with him, you know, I write about in the book, um, you know, things that happened that made it clear he was not appropriate as a husband or father for me or anyone maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. his parental rights were terminated, which is very, very rare. You know, my daughter was born and there was, and I don't want to talk about her life. That's up to her. But the parental rights were terminated because it was determined he could not empathize with his own child's needs. It's very unusual for that. I didn't seek it that the court decided that on their own due to things that happened and law enforcement and a psychiatrist that evaluated Ted. At that time, um, he became very, he stalked me a lot during that time. It was very hard. And, um, you know, I disappeared into trying to survive and keep my daughter in a normal, happy setting and recovering and healing. And we ended up finding that healing in Seattle, Washington. And that was a a very good decision to move there. And um, we were um, very lucky to connect with services that helped us and helped my daughter immensely. And um, that was New Beginnings, the domestic violence agency. 
and uh, they are amazing. Um, and Ryder Child Center, amazing. And they work with play therapy with children. And so what I would say is if you suffer, any of your listeners have a domestic violence situation, try to reach out for help because there are some really good services out there. And um, I was fortunate then I got a support system around us that protected us. And so I write about all that in the book and that kind of progress through that. Um, But going back to your original assertion um, or question about I really, in my opinion, and I'm not a psychiatrist, I think that I was really set up for the Joe Biden thing by my dad in a sense of just um, not violence being normalized and not having good boundaries in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, our um, the time is up. Um, fascinating okay. story. Um, I, I feel your pain. Um, I, I, well, actually, yes, I was going to mention that, but we don't really have much time. But I, I had a book of mine uh, stocked on Amazon and me stocked too, um, cyber stocked uh, by people saying they want to kill me and so on when I talked about how uh, playing violent video games um, make people violent when, depending upon the amount of violence that they consume. And, you know, I had done research on this for years and years, and uh, there are studies, many, many studies about it. It's not like I was inventing this, but the people who played the gamers did not like that, and they stalked me and did death threats, and they said, yes, people oh who play goodness. video games um, want to rape women. Yes, that's true, and so come to my house and I will rape you. So I get it. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your story. You. Again, the book well, is called Left Out When the Tr- <laughs> You're welcome. Left Out When the Truth Doesn't Fit In. And also you can um go to Tara's website. Amazon. Which, um mm-hmm. Well, yes, the book on Amazon. And also Tara's website is TaraReadAuthor.com. T A R A. Yeah, go, go check out your books. Go check out Dr. Lieberman's books. I and and check out mine on Amazon and and leave those leave those comments, those reviews because like mine got trolled. Like you were mentioning trolling, I'm getting trolled. I even had someone who was um, downloading it for free for people and violating my copyright. So yes, support yes, you can absolutely. Give to protect that, them is good. Yes, that happens. So that's the book. The web her website again is Tara Reed Author. Dot com that you can go there too and find out more about her and about her book and so on. So thank you, Tara, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 